morning, everyone. Uh, thank you very much, Vic. I want to start just with a question for everybody, no matter how old you are here this morning. The question is this, what do you think of yourself? What do you think of yourself? Or, or let me ask that slightly differently. How is your self-esteem this morning? Last, uh, last Sunday, as Vic says, we started a new short series in Romans chapter 12. And afterwards, quite a few people told me on the way out that this is one of their favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And, and at least one person shared how they had learnt all 21 verses a number of years ago in the authorized version, and they can still quote it today. And so, the challenge that I threw out last Sunday, and my challenge, my summer challenge for everyone is this, to memorize all 21 verses of Romans chapter 12. So if you're up for a challenge, let me give that to you, and at the end of the summer, there will be prizes available, okay? But last, last week, we looked at the first couple of verses as we thought about our relationship with God. So we kind of were thinking about me and God, and we highlighted two commands. And remember what I said last week, that there are more commands in this one chapter than there is in any other chapter in the New Testament. And so the first two commands that we looked at that were based on the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 12 were to offer your bodies, to offer your lives, to present your lives to God as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is our true, this is our proper worship. That's the first command. The second command was to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what I said about that was, allow God to shape your thinking and your worldview. Allow God, through his word primarily, to shape the way you think. Today, we're going to consider me and me, our relationship with ourselves. Oscar Wilde once said that to love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. And Robert uh, Morley, who's an English actor who appeared in numerous movies, has said that to fall in love with yourself is the first secret of happiness. Then if you're not a good mixer, you can always fall back in your own company. <laughs> and then the second, the second great command, as you love yourself. And so the question this morning I want to ask you is, do you love you? Do you love you? You see, how we see ourselves or what we think about ourselves will profoundly affect the way we live. All of us, every single person here this morning, without exception, have self-esteem. You have a view of, you have an opinion about yourself. And the question is, is it good or not? Do you have a healthy self-esteem or a poor one? Positive or negative? Now, there's a number of factors that influence or have influenced our self-esteem. Our parents, our friends, our appearance or our perception of our appearance. Our environment affects our self-esteem, our jobs, our academic ability, our giftedness, the media, our likes on Facebook and Instagram. 
The list kind of goes on, but they all individually, corporately affect and shape our self-image. And alongside these various factors is the tendency we all have to kind of look around and look over our shoulders at other people. In today's materialistic, image-oriented society, one of the most debilitating diseases that many people struggle with is comparisonitis. Now, that's another made-up word. I, I introduced a made-up word last week. There's another made-up word this week. That is not a recognized medical term. You will not read it in any official journal. But I would suggest that its reality is unquestionable. What is comparisonitis? It is the tendency to measure your worth by comparing yourself to other people. Do, do you ever do that? Do you ever look around at work, or at school, or at university, or at church, and you draw comparisons? And some of you are smiling at me. And you see, people who, who suffer from this condition, and I reckon we all do, I do, I'll be really honest. I reckon we all do to some extent, but people who have comparisonitis, they do one of two things, and there's lots in between, but at the extremes, one of two things. Either you look down on others and think highly of yourself because comparatively speaking, you feel, do you know something? I'm slightly better than them. I'm slightly better looking. I've slightly more gifts and abilities. I have a little bit more wealth. Whatever it is, we often compare ourselves. And sometimes, sometimes, sad, we kind of look down. We feel superior. Or the other side is that we look down on ourselves and we feel inferior. Because we think, do you know something? I'm not as capable as the person sitting in front of me this morning. I'm not as gifted. I'm not as talented. I don't have as much. And so we start feeling bad about ourselves. And we all do this, and admittedly, some do it more than others. And, and within a kind of media-saturated society, it almost seems that you're encouraged to do it. You're actually encouraged to compare yourselves with those around you and either end up feeling better or, or worse. Now, I've already mentioned that there are a number of factors that influence your self-esteem. Those, let me call them voices of influence, are incredibly important and they're very vocal. And so the words that those voices of influence speak to us and about us, they affect how we see and what we think about ourselves. So again, going back to parents, the words that parents speak to their kids, the words that your parents spoke to you as you were growing up, have had an impact on how you feel about yourself. The words your teachers said, the words your peers say, your siblings say. There are many different voices that we listen to, but the critical question is, who are we primarily listening to? Or maybe a better question is, what are those voices of influence actually saying about us? See, self-esteem is so important because ultimately it determines how you live. It influences how you think. Your self-esteem influences the choices you make, the decisions you take. It influences what you do, your actions, your reactions, your behavior. It influences how you relate to others. 
So the question is, where do we turn to make sense of this, to make sense of who we are, to understand ourselves properly? Well, within the past kind of 30, 40, 50 years, this has become a bit of an increasingly major issue for psychologists and counselors and therapists and health advisors and youth workers and ministers. And so as a result, there are are any number of kind of self-help aids that you can get and books that you can buy and courses that you can attend. And so addressing and building and sorting out self-esteem has become big business. But despite all the raising of awareness, despite the attention it receives, the struggle for many people still continues. Now, I'm not about to stand up here and trash the importance or the value of a lot of what is being offered out there and what is being suggested to many, many people around this critical subject. But what I do want to say is this. See, if you leave God out of your understanding and engagement with this issue, as many people today do, then I believe you're missing a vital ingredient. In fact, let me go further. I would say that outside of God and apart from a relationship with him, you will never, never meet this need at its deepest level. Now, I know me saying that, end of that verse, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. That, I want to suggest to you, is a fascinating phrase. Absolutely fascinating statement and comment. The New Living Translation, and if I'm honest, I prefer it in this sense, puts it like this. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Now, one of the angles that we can take on this, and I know there's more than one. In some ways, this is a pretty complex verse. But one of the angles that we can take on this, and one of the things that we can learn from this verse is that it's not about how we stack up as compared to other people. It's not even about how we this morning sit here and evaluate ourselves. Instead, the critical issue is how does God see us? How does God see me this morning? The message translation Eugene Peterson puts it like this, and again, I find this incredibly helpful. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what God does for us. So if we are going to have an honest evaluation of ourselves, if we're going to avoid thinking too highly of ourselves, if we're going to have a truly healthy self-esteem, then we need to see ourselves and think of ourselves as God does and by what God has done. We need to understand God's perspective on our worth and our value. Otherwise, we'll never see ourselves, evaluate ourselves, or measure ourselves properly. In other words, with sober judgment. 
So here's the question now. How do you determine? How do you discover how much you're worth? Can you put a price on an individual? Well, some of you have heard me share this before, but just the past week, the sale or the transfer of another footballer has been all over the news. Anyone know who this is? Don't worry about pronouncing his name right. Anybody know who it is? Lukaku. Romelu Lukaku, who is this week, just at the start of the week, transferred or being sold from Everton to Man United for how much? How much? 75 million pounds. In a deal that they reckon is actually worth, more accurately, 90 million pounds, which is one more, one million pounds more than Man United paid for Pogba. Romelu Lukaku is going to be paid, does anyone know what his weekly salary or wage is going to be? £250,000. Quarter of a million per week. Now, lots of you are sitting here saying, that is what? Ludicrous. <laughs> I didn't mean you to get involved in that point. That is ludicrous. That is a complete scandal. Surely no one is worth that, irrespective of how many goals they scored last season. Well, actually, Rumalu Lukaku is worth every penny of that. It's worth every penny. Why? Because that is how much Manchester United and the board at Old Trafford were willing, were prepared to pay for him. They value him that much. And here's the reality. Here's the truth of Scripture. Here's the truth of God's Word. Here's the message. Here's the good news of the gospel. You, no matter how old you are here this morning, you are worth infinitely more than 75 million pounds. The price tag that hangs round your neck, it's not a financial figure. The price tag that hangs around your neck reads, Jesus. God so loved, passionately loved the world that he gave not a cash price, not a five-year contract. God gave his only son. And as Jesus came, and as Jesus lived, and as Jesus laid down his life on a cross, your and my true worth was established once and for all. Nothing can change or diminish our value in God's eyes. What Jesus went through and I know we'll never fully understand it, the abuse and the ridicule and the turmoil and the torment, but he endured it to powerfully demonstrate that you know something, your life is worth a fortune to God. And this is why the cross, this is why this, 
This is why the cross is such a critical symbol of the Christian faith, because amongst the whole host of other things, it provides a graphic reminder of your value. And whenever I find myself suffering from comparisonitis, I need to stop looking over my shoulder, I need to stop looking around, and I need to start looking and relooking and refocusing on this on the cross of Jesus Christ. But it's so hard, isn't it? Because we live in a context, we live in a society where the cross and the events around it and where the person who was strung up on it are all seen to be an irrelevance to modern life in the 21st century, where God and the Christian faith are and increasingly are being marginalized and pushed to the fringes of contemporary culture. And it's so hard keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And to see ourselves through that lens. And to think of ourselves as God thinks of us. But despite the fact that it's so hard, and as I say, Jesus just kept getting pushed further and further away in people's thinking. It was Paul who wrote Romans and who wrote so many other letters in the New Testament who stated that the message that he preached And the message that we preach, and I don't apologize for it, but the message that we preach is Christ crucified. And Paul himself admitted, and this still is the case, that that message is foolishness to so many people, and for others it's a stumbling block. But that's the gospel. That's the good news. That is the power of God for those who are being saved. You know, there are three basic human needs. Three basic human needs that every single human being has, and they are these, love, security, significance. Because whenever you feel loved, whenever you feel secure, whenever you feel significant, then you're going to enjoy a healthy self-esteem. You're going to have an honest evaluation of yourself. And I want to suggest that it's at the cross of Christ. It's at the cross these three basic human needs are met. You see, whenever we focus again on the cross, we discover and we discover once again the depth of love that God has for each of us. Here's what one of the writers of the New Testament says. This is how we know what love is. This this is how we know what love is. That Christ laid down his life for us. And so Jesus proved and demonstrated and and graphically confirmed God's undying love by dying for us. And the bit that I find hard to get my head around, he died for us while we were still a mess, while we were still sinners, as Paul has said back in Romans chapter 5. Jesus didn't die for us. Jesus didn't wait until we got our lives sorted out. Now, if you're here this morning, you need to hear this. Jesus died for each and every one of us while we were still sinners. The cross tells us, reminds us that we're loved, truly, madly, deeply loved. And this table, and what it points to, and what it reminds us of, should provide an honest estimate of ourselves. Here at the cross, I discover This is how much I am worth. This is how much God values me. 
And secondly, we find security. And the Bible teaches that whenever you come to the cross, whenever you confess your sin, whenever you hand over control of your life to God, you become, and we've been thinking about this as we've been tracking in our series in Ephesians, you become a child of God. You are adopted into the family of God. You discover your true father, your heavenly father, and he is a perfect father because he's not a man, he's not a human, and so there are no areas of weakness or vulnerability in his expression of parenthood. And so as a child of God, you belong. And when you know that you belong, that provides a sense of security. See how much our heavenly Father loves us, for he allows us to be called his children. I am his. One of my favorite films is Toy Story. And in Toy Story 2, and the kids can help me out of or Probably, yeah, it's so long ago, Toy Story 2. But in Toy Story 2, Woody has forgotten who he belongs to. And Buzz Lightyear tells him to do what? Does anyone know? He tells him to look at the sole of his shoe. And what is written on the sole of Woody's shoe? Andy. Andy is written in, the, in capital letters. And at that moment, whenever Woody looks at the sole of his shoe, he knows who he belongs to. And it provides him with the sense of security that he so desperately needed. And you know, whenever I forget, whenever you forget where you belong and who you belong to, you need to look again at this. You need to look at the cross where it says in bold capital letters, I am his. I am a child of God. And then finally, significance. And you don't need me to tell you this, but people matter to God. People matter to God. And whenever Jesus laid down his life, our significance was confirmed beyond question. The betrayal, the isolation, the physical pain that Jesus endured, I know were extreme, but if nothing else, it should leave us and no one in any doubt regarding the lengths and the depths that God was prepared to go to in order to express his love for us. You matter to God. And when we look at the cross and see the cross, we discover significance. This is where we find an honest evaluation of ourselves. This is where we think of ourselves with sober judgment. And so my self-esteem and yours is going to constantly be challenged. And there are many, many factors that are going to bring to bear on its state of health. But you see, whenever you begin to understand God's perspective on you, whenever you see how the cross reflects your value and your worth, that you were bought at a price, that's what God's word says. You are no longer your own. You were bought at a phenomenal price. And that price was Jesus. And if we can see that and get that and understand that, then I begin to see me in a whole new light. Each of us 
needs the voice of God to be a major influence in our lives. But in today's world, God's voice increasingly becomes a faint whisper. And as Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 3, we need an honest evaluation, an estimate of ourselves, not an inferior one, not a superior one, but an honest to God one. We need to soberly judge ourselves. And we get that. One of the ways we get that is not by, not by comparing ourselves to the person around us this morning, not only by listening to all those other voices of influence like parents and teachers, and I'm not knocking any of those, but we get that by primarily discovering and measuring our true worth according to who God is and what God has said and what God has done. And so getting back to Oscar Wilde and Robert Morley, you see, I believe we can. In fact, I believe we should love ourselves. but only, only as we see ourselves through the lens of the cross. And so if you're here this morning and you are a child of God and you are a Christian and you are a follower of Jesus and you've kind of lost sight of the cross of Christ, if this morning as we were kind of eating and drinking, you were completely distracted and you found it really hard to concentrate for whatever reason and in fact your focus on the cross was virtually minimal. Can I encourage you to refocus, to re-see, to re-look, to re-imagine, to rediscover. And if you're here this morning and you've never understood the cross, you've never seen it for what it really is, then can I urge you to see it afresh this morning because seeing the cross afresh will enable you to discover a healthy self-esteem. Me and God, me and me, in a few weeks, me and you, let me pray. Father, again, we give you thanks for your word. Thank you for specific parts of it, but thank you for how it all holds together, that it all tells a big story. And so this morning, as we have reflected on what it means to have an honest evaluation of ourselves and to think of ourselves as sober judgment, I pray, God, that you would help us to see us as you see us, that we would know and discover our true value as we once again look to the cross. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for me while it was still a mess. And thank you for loving me despite the fact that times I am still a mess. And it's in your name I pray and give you thanks. Amen.